Hey, it's Seeking Plum. I have a bit of an unusual tale for you. So, as is frequently the case, I had another random person follow me on Twitter the other day. You know, they don't come across as the type that might be interested in your stuff, so they're obviously looking for just somebody else to follow them. Depending, I might check their account out. And depending on what I find and learn, I might dig a little deeper. It can be rare, but this time I struck gold. His name is Bo Lotto. He's a neuroscientist who has done a couple of TED Talks on perception and the brain. If you hadn't guessed by now, I am a bit of a glutton for neuroscience. <laughs> and just the idea that he was dipping into perception, and this is something that I had been talking about or thinking about in the philosophical realm, also piqued my interest. In the one TED Talk, which I'll link to in the show notes, he had several optical illusions, one of which I found particularly poignant. If you end up watching it, it's the one with the predator in the jungle. Essentially, the first image he shows us is just where the light is reflected. So there's no color, it's black and white, and you're only seeing where the light is reflected. He asks us, can you see the predator? And we can't. He explains that there's so much more that our brain needs in order to be able to see, to perceive. I forgot to say that he tends to start out these talks by asking, is what we see reality? Can we perceive reality? And that is really the age-old question, right? Anyway, through much research, Lotto has determined that creativity helps us to think logically differently than without it. And you may remember me saying that this is something I had thought was a thing because I thought I was experiencing this. Long, long ago, in a land far away, I traveled in an international theater company for a few years. As fun as that was, there were a lot of moments of monotony. We did a lot of performances in churches, and quite frankly, sometimes they just began to look the same again and again and again. I was desperate for a change of perspective. So I thought, why not? Nothing is stopping me. I don't have to stay in the row of chairs or in the pews or on the stage or in the aisles. So when no one was there, I would find somewhere else to be. Whether it was as simple as standing in the very far back corner or lying under a pew and looking around, anywhere that was unexpected, my teammates often didn't know where to find me, and to this day, they still sometimes talk about this. I think challenging my perceptions of what should or shouldn't be, and then quite literally changing my perspective really had an impact on how I approach things, how I think about the world. You could almost say that that was the beginning. I occasionally do a little bit of that, you know, shifting my physical perspective, but I do a lot more of the daydreaming and mindfulness, taking myself to somewhere else in my imagination, being very present in that place. It sounds silly and fun and ridiculous, but quite honestly, it has had the biggest impact on my ability to extrapolate and process and think through things over the last several months. I knew, but I couldn't articulate, that this had to do with the brain and, and something going on up there. <laughs>
Um, but I know that in the coming weeks I'll be able to explain more because I picked up Bo Lotto's book called Deviate. Yes, that means I have yet another book on the go. So you never know what you're going to get from me when. <laughs> sorry! Not sorry. Until then, I want to read you a couple of excerpts from this book. So this is a story that Lotto shares that took place at Burning Man 2014. On a windy day, midway through the week, my partner Isabel and I were riding our bikes and getting to know the, quote, city. Desert dust swirled, silting us and our goggles in a fine layer of beige. We ended up in a camp of people from a town on the southern edge of the Midwest and met a guy I'll call Dave. This was Dave's first year at Burning Man and he said it was turning out to be a transformative experience for him. At first I internally rolled my eyes at this. Being quote transformed at Burning Man has become not just a cliche but almost an imposed aspiration. If you don't transform there, then you have somehow failed. But what is transformation? Of course, no one really knows because it is different for every person, which is why so many people at Burning Man hungrily chase signs of it all week, going around asking, have you been transformed? The more we talked to Dave, though, the more I realized he really was undergoing a deep shift in his perceptions of self and other. He was a computer programmer from a place with fundamentalist religious views and a narrow outlook on what was socially acceptable. In his town, you either learned to fit in or you were ostracized. Dave had learned to fit in. The business casual attire he wore at Burning Man reflected this, but it had clearly curtailed the possibilities of his life, curiosity, and imagination. Yet here he was at Burning Man. It was the decision to be there that mattered. It was his choice, his intention enacted, to come, and the questioning manner he had brought with him. As we stood there in his camp, he told us that the little green plastic flower that I saw stuck behind his ear, perhaps the least flamboyant adornment in Burning Man history, had provoked an epic struggle inside him. He had sat in his tent for two hours that morning, weighing whether or not to wear the flower. It had forced him to confront a complex host of assumptions in his mind about free expression, masculinity, aesthetic beauty, and social control. In the end, he gave himself permission to question these assumptions, symbolically manifested in a plastic flower, and stepped out of his tent. He seemed both pleased and uncomfortable, and in my eyes, far more courageous than most of the people out there in the Nevada desert that day in search of something powerful. As a neuroscientist, I knew that his brain had changed. Ideas and actions previously out of his reach would now be available to him if he was willing to question his assumptions, and in doing so, create a new, unknown terrain of wondering. As a person, I was moved. This is what transformation looks like. Deviation toward oneself. So simple, so complex. Nothing interesting ever happens without active doubt. Yet doubt is often disparaged in our culture because it is associated with indecision a lack of confidence, and therefore weakness. Here I will argue exactly the opposite, that in many contexts to doubt yet do with humility, like Dave, is possibly the strongest thing one can do. Doubt with courage, and your brain will reward you for it through the new perceptions this process opens up. To question one's assumptions, especially those that define ourselves, requires knowing that you don't see the reality only your mind's version of reality, 
and admitting this, not to mention accepting the possibility that someone else might know better. A bit later, he says this, Doubt is the genesis of powerful, deviating possibilities. In this way, the human brain is able to shed constricting assumptions and see beyond the utility with which the past has trained it to see. As I like to say, the cash is in the questions. I don't know that there's really much more to say, except to wrap up. I know we can't challenge ideas without doubting them first. But I know that in today's society, that can be particularly difficult because we've been so programmed but to put on this front of strength. We know vulnerability takes strength. We know showing doubt takes strength. But how do we redefine society's perspective of strength, their perception of strength? I think it starts with each one of us, right? Fix ourselves, fix the world. But in seeking to do that, I'm really curious how creativity is going to play a role in some of this. I'm sure you're going to hear a lot more from me on this topic.